again today? To serve you, to hear you, to be with you, to once again build a relationship. I ask that you open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts today so that we may hear the message that Pastor Michael has to share with us. I ask you to bless every single person in this room. Every one of us has a need. Every one of us has hurts. Every one of us has pain. I ask you to come in and fill those holes, fill this place, so that we can be with you and we can worship you in your holy name. Amen. So the next two sermons and the third, what I'm calling a forum. Am I on? Am I good? Okay. Well, I mean, I know I'm not good, but you know. Uh, so, um, I, how do I put this? These are for me, and I hope you get something out of them. <laughs> um, I have been saying all year that I feel like that everyone is kind of at their breaking point and that everyone is stretched beyond and farther than they're used to being. And so this series is about how to get to a place of having a healthy soul. And this Sunday, we're going to talk about being present. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the weapon of rest. And then the third Sunday, we're going to have, uh, we have three counselors in our church that we're going to put on the stage and I'm going to grill them. I mean, I'm going to ask them questions <laughs> about how to, how to work toward a healthy soul and things that we can do as individuals to strengthen our souls practically. So I'm really looking forward to this series. Uh, and even though I've written it and prepared it, I'm always surprised by what God brings out as we walk through the material that he's given us. So where we want to dive into is this idea that a healthy life, a healthy soul, a healthy spirit is based on healthy rhythms. Things that you do in life, certain patterns and habits that you live that can carry you through and I believe, I believe one of the challenges that we're facing at this time in history as, as Christians, as I think we're at a point in history now where every time there is a circumstantial crisis, every time something is happening out in the world or out in our lives, that we put God on trial. And that's the first time in history it's been this way. Throughout all of history, faith has always been what carried people through hard times. Not a daily test to see if God's going to pass. By the way, it's a test He won't even take. And you should know that. And so what I'm trying to do, what I want to do from my heart is just help you and, and myself build a strong faith that stands no matter what happens. I want to, no matter what happens over the next 10 years, at the end of that 10 years, I want your faith to be strong. Even if nothing else is left, I want your faith to be strong. And I think a strong faith will carry you through that. And the basis for this idea is a guy named Daniel. Daniel's life was tougher than yours. I promise you, Daniel's life was tougher than yours. As a teenager, he was captured by an evil empire and dragged off to a foreign land and lived the rest of his life in slavery to four separate evil empires. That was his life. They took everything from him. Everything. And yet, he had a strong faith. A faith that's so strong that it sent the wise man from ancient, the wise men from ancient Babylon 
to Israel when Jesus was born. His faith was so deep and so wide and so powerful, it impacted his entire nation. Four entire nations. He faced ruthless rulers, cruel kings, conniving cohorts. I'm sorry, I, I had to do it. It's a pastor thing. We alliterate. I, I don't know. That's why all my kids are alliterated. It's, it's, it's just a pastor thing. I, I can't turn it off. Maybe it's a southern thing. I don't know. He, in all this, he, he demonstrated incredible courage. He, he faced certain death several times and beat it several times. All because of his faith. What, what was different between Daniel and us? Well, it's actually so simple. So simple. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, the law that made it illegal to pray, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he is always done, giving thanks to God. See, Daniel had a rhythm. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, he hung out with the Father. His appointments with God, he kept them close together. He had a rhythm in his life. And I believe this rhythm is what caused him to be able to stand up to evil, completely autonomous, wicked leader time and time again and stand them down because he had a faith rhythm that held him up. Does that make sense? That's the basis for our series, but today... I'm actually going to be teaching on Martha and Mary. And I've been, wanting to, I've been wanting to have the rant I'm about to have for four months. I'm not kidding. I mean, I, you'll see what I'm talking about in just a second. <clears throat> Mary and Martha is one of my favorite stories. I just don't love what everyone does with the Mary and Martha story. And, and here's, here's my annoyance with the story. People are always saying, Okay, before I say this, I better give you a little bit of an explainer. There are task-oriented people, and there are people-oriented people. I'm task-oriented. Don't worry, I can still love people, I just have to make you a task. That's all, it's not a problem. Okay? I'm not kidding either, it's just, there are Marthas and there are Marys. That's just what, they're how it is. I'm not, you can't always break people up into two groups, but... There are all, they're just task-oriented, people-oriented people, and that's okay. What I'm tired of hearing is, well, you've just got to learn to be a Mary in a Martha world. <laughs> if there were no Martha, there would be no lunch. <laughs> just saying. It, it, in fact, I, I helped a Mary move about 15 years ago, and there was almost one less Mary in the world. It got close. And I loved her with all my heart, but I was about ready to send her to Jesus by the time we got her packed. Now you say, Michael, that's awful, and you're just saying that because you're a Martha. Yes. Yes, I am. I am. I, God just made me this way. And so my soapbox about the Martha Mary story is that who you are is who God made you to be. And you have a purpose. And you can't make yourself be a Mary if you're a Martha. And you can't make yourself be a Martha if you're a Mary. And you shouldn't, 
because God has a purpose for Martha and he has a purpose for Mary. And here's what I'm talking about if you don't know the story. <coughs> Excuse me. In uh, Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Don't you love it when people tell God what to do? <laughs> but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, some other translations, Martha, Martha. What I hear being from the South is I hear a first name and a middle name. Uh, but I don't know what your parents called you when you were in trouble, but anyway. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken from her. That's the story I'm referring to about Martha and Mary. And I want to show you what's right about this story and what's wrong about this story. And you may not know what's wrong about it. But I'm here to tell you what's wrong about it is not who Martha was. It's not who Martha was. It's not who Mary was. It was something else, something that we often miss in the Martha and Mary story. You see, how many of you know it's the right thing to invite Jesus over to your house? That was the right thing. Here's Jesus and his disciples, 12 of them, 13, counting Jesus, Mary and Martha, 15, Lazarus was probably there, 16. Who knows who else was there? But dinner for 16, okay? That's, that's pretty serious right there. I mean, that's a lot of baloney. <laughs> so you know what you're having for lunch if you come to my house. But anyway, so Mar Martha, Martha invited... Je invited Jesus over, it was, the, it was the right thing to do. She wanted Jesus in her house. She wanted to spend time with Jesus. She wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. You're, this is coming from Martha. Understand, Mary would not have gotten her moment to shine if Martha hadn't said, hey, Jesus, would you come over to our house? You, you understand that, right? What Mary got, Martha gave her. I need you to understand that. Okay, I'm not making too big a deal about Martha, but I just want you to take the black mark off of Martha. That's all I want you to do. Okay, so but something happened. Something happened because we went from Jesus, would you come over to my house to Martha, Martha. Somehow we something went wonky and weird. And what was it? Because it wasn't lunch. Something else had to had to have happened. And I think Jesus was getting her attention. And I know Jesus is pro-serving. I know Jesus is pro-serving. He says, the greatest among you will be servant to all. And so I know he's all about Martha being a servant cannot be what's wrong with it, what's happening. Now, that critical heart toward her sister. And believe me, I want to preach a second sermon right here. I want to pack it right in the middle of this sermon and be here all that day. But I want to preach a second sermon on how Martha couldn't just, why couldn't Martha just say, hey, Mary, would you help me out? Instead, she did that classic thing we all do. Why don't they know I need help? Why can't someone read my mind? Like you can read your own. Sometimes he's a... 
I know some of you are sitting there going, sometimes he's a smart aleck. You have no idea. So what happened that transitioned from the blessing to the awkward? Martha got distracted. That's what scripture says. She got distracted by all the details of a big dinner. She had a lot on her mind, a lot of things she wanted to do. What does it mean to be distracted? I want to read you a quote by Eugene Patterson. He wrote, um, he gave us the Message Bible. He's responsible for the Message Bible. He wrote, Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted means not paying attention. It means not having a center or an anchor, being pulled this way and pulled that way by whoever and by whatever. What happened was, is that Martha asked Jesus to come over. That came with a dinner for 16, and that turned into a lot of work. And she got distracted by the serving. And I'm going to tell you, I understand this from the bottom of my soul. This is something that I've seen happen. So, for example, let me just put in context for you a Sunday morning. We used to start on Saturday nights. Now we start at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, if you want to put it in your calendar and be here. <laughs> but every Sunday morning, I said Saturday, I meant Sunday. My brain is not hitting on all cylinders today. So if I say something wonky, just know what I meant. Read my mind. So we start at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, and these chairs, believe it or not, don't just magically get in rows like this. I mean, I've tried. Poof! In Jesus' name. <clears throat> um, they, the people come in, they set up these chairs. There's, there's technology everywhere. I mean, there's, there's way too much of it. But anyway, things so we can stream, things, slides that we can have, computers that don't work on Sunday morning when we need them to. But I'm not upset about that at all. Wait, these mic, these speakers right here have to be put on those stands. These speakers have taken out my back more than I take out my wife, okay? <clears throat> um, we, we do all these things, and, and it's so easy to get lost in the details of the welcome table, the pamphlets, the Bibles being out, the tables and the chairs being up, and, and you, you do all that stuff and you forget why you do all this stuff? Do you know why we do all this stuff? We do all this stuff to do the exact same that Martha, thing thing that Martha was trying to do. She was inviting Jesus into a moment so that other people could share a moment with Jesus, and that's exactly what we're doing on Sunday morning. We are trying and reaching out and praying, and there are several other things I didn't even mention that go on, and prayer is a big one. Things that are happening because we're inviting Jesus into a moment in hopes that some Mary out there will get to sit at his feet. That's the why every Sunday. And as long as I've been in ministry, we've done everything. We do stuff at our home. We do stuff at parks. We do stuff in other people's homes. We, and, and, and it's so easy to get lost in the tasks and forget the why that we are inviting people to share a moment with Jesus. Mary, here's, just think about Martha for a second. She got so distracted. She, she went in there and she said, Jesus, I invited you over to my house so I could listen to your teaching and spend time with you. And here's Mary sitting there listening to your teaching and spending time with you, and I'm mad. You see? Do you understand how crazy that is? 
But every one of us has been there. How many of you moms have put on the perfect dinner to get all the kids home and you didn't even get to spend time with your kids? Because you were doing dishes and you were cooking meals and all those kind of things. Happens all the time. Distracted. You see, if you lose your why, you'll lose your way. If you lose your why, you'll lose your way. I need you to remember that. This is what's going to hold your family together. It's going to hold your faith together. It's going to hold this church together. Because Martha got so distracted. So distracted from serving that rather than just saying, I need help. Wouldn't this story have been different? If, if, I might not even made the Bible. I don't know. If she'd have walked in the room and said, Mary, would you help me? You know, Martha and Mary were pretty tight. Yep. They, they, were, they were good friends. And, and what if she'd have just said, would you help me? Another thing she could have done, I'm just throwing hindsight 2020, and I'm not judging Martha because I've been there. Why did it have to be a big dinner? You know, she was planning a, a big dinner. Man, beans and cornbread. I'm from Tennessee. That'll feed a lot of folks. Chili and crackers will feed a lot of folks. You know what I mean? But for some reason, it had to be a big dinner and there were details. And when she got stressed, she couldn't just come in and say, I need help. By the way, husbands, wives, if you just said to your spouse on occasion, I need help, you might be surprised what would happen. They might actually, I don't know, help. You know they love you, right? I mean, why else would anyone stay with you? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to have to give Linda a chair up here. <laughs> Steve, remember those churches that in, they'd have the, 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 the sub-preachers up there? Yeah. Anyway. Here's the thing. When distraction, when distraction steals your why, anxiety and fear show up. Because it's not as simple as losing your why. When you lose your why, all of a sudden insecurity pops in. I, I mentioned the mother putting on a dinner for the family, a reunion, whatever, and ends up cooking and doing dishes or the cleaning beforehand. And when she's doing all that, I guarantee you for many women, what's running through their mind is now insecurity. Does my family love me? Does anyone care about me? You see, you lose your why. You give the enemy a void, an empty place that he's going to inject fear and anxiety into those moments. Distraction steals our why, and when it does, anxiety and trouble show up. And, and we even get to a place where we start to tell God what to do. I mean, you probably never told God what to do, right? God, fix my spouse. God, my kids, you better do something. I'm going to kill them. <sighs> Michael, you shouldn't say that, church. I'm just saying what you're thinking. You see, when we serve God, we need to realize that our service to God has to be fueled by our time with God. Our service to God has to be fueled with our time with God. And, and I would say that, that everything in your life is service to God. 
I'd say your job, your family, your roles, I'd say it's all for Him. And if you fuel that with time spent with Him, that will, that will keep distraction at bay. But when distraction shows up, I promise you this, anxiety and trouble are on its coattails. So, lose your why, lose your way. So the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25, look straight ahead. This is one of my favorite verses. And fix your eyes on what lies before you and mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. So we have to overcome distraction in our lives. The problem is, is that distraction is a full-time job for us. What do I mean? <laughs> well, some of the statistics and some of the things I'm going to give you uh, to me, we're absolutely overwhelming. I didn't realize the state, some things that were going on. So let's put ourselves in Martha's shoes. What would you do for a party of 16? 16 of us are coming to your house after church. What would you do? Pizza. <laughs> Jimmy John's. Listen to these moms in here. They're on point. They're like, oh, yeah, I am not spending my day in the kitchen. <laughs> so... <laughs> So what would you do if it's, everyone's coming over? Hey, well, I know what we're saying now, but I also know what happens a lot. First of all, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be today. Maybe you had a week to prepare. You get on the old Pinterest. I don't really work Pinterest really well. I don't understand Pinterest, actually. I think it's made for women, and guys absolutely jack it up. But I, I don't know for sure. But my wife's on there a lot. She comes up with great ideas. So you get on there, and you're like, oh, let's get some place settings and, and so forth. Maybe then you get on the YouTube to find, find some kind of a, you know, the interweb, the YouTube. I'm trying to be cool. No, I'm just kidding. <sighs> I know more tech than I, than I want to right now. You learn how to make something. You get on Instagram, take a picture of yourself, making something, cover, throw some flour and water in your face, look like you're really doing something. Look at me. And while you're on there, you see, oh, there's, there's Jennifer over there. She's, she's done a better job than me. Oh, now I feel bad about what I'm doing. Shoot, I forgot to order stuff from Amazon. Alexa, order some sugar. She says, would you like Amazon Music Unlimited? <laughs> no, I want some sugar. Fine, we have signed you up for Amazon Music Unlimited. <clears throat> First world problems. Wow. You know, you probably need another screen to put up there. You know, Pinterest over here, YouTube over there, Amazon on the little box. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say 1,617. 1,617. That's the number of times the average American touches their phone in a day. 1,617 times. There are 1,440 minutes in a day, and Americans are averaging, verifiable, 1,600, 107 touches of their phone a day. The average American is on their phone four hours a day. But that's okay, because they're also on, they're watching their TVs four hours a day. What, what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that distraction in the Western world is a full-time job with two days of overtime. A full-time job. We are spending our time distracted. What happens when you get distracted? What shows up? Anxiety and trouble. 
Anxiety and trouble shows up when you're distracted. And we're spending eight hours of a day as an average. Probably not you all of that. I hope not. But still, as an average, eight hours a day distracted, which gives the enemy all kinds of room for anxiety and trouble. So, so they did a, a study in 2013 after the Boston Marathon bombing. And they found out that people who had watched six hours of news about the Boston Marathon bombing actually had more PTSD symptoms than people who were actually at the Boston Marathon bombing. Yeah, that's right. I'm serious. This is a problem. And what am I suggesting? That we all learn how to make butter turns? Well, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> I like butter. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is, is that your technology has been designed to hijack your human nature and take control of your life. So, you either choose to use your technology wisely and you make choices, or your technology will use you. And that's your choice. If we don't learn this lesson, we'll never understand why we're getting more and more anxious and feeling like we're in more and more trouble. We have to take control of our technological lives. We have to take control of our, our phones because distraction is only overcome by attention by focus. We have to learn. We need to learn. We want to learn how to be focused. Where is our energy going in life? What are we intentionally thinking about and focused upon? Because that's your life. Your life is your focus, not your distraction. In fact, if you continue living your life distracted, your life will pass and you won't know where it went. Doesn't it seem like things are going faster and faster? Maybe things aren't going faster. Maybe we're just so distracted we don't notice the life we're actually living. Maybe. So what has your attention and what is getting your energy? Is anyone else in this room guilty of saying, well, I'm busy. I'm so busy. Has anyone won the busy contest today? Is there a contest? I mean, really? It's like you hear two humans talking and they're like, well, you know, I'm more busy than you. <clears throat> when we are busy, what we're really saying is, I'm not really here. When we're busy, what we're actually doing is carrying everything instead of participating in one thing. Being busy is not about doing important stuff. You're not, you're not, just because you're busy doesn't mean you're doing important things. Think about Jesus for a second. Okay? Jesus is, he's got, I would say, the most important mission ever. Nothing is, I mean, everything is heavy. Jesus, this is critical. Okay? And he's on earth. He's in his ministry. And how does he live his life? Is he busy? Running over here, running over there. Well, I would love to come to Jerusalem, but right now I'm over here in Galilee. Is he like that? But think about Jesus' life for a second. Someone invited him to a wedding. Someone invited him to a wedding. 
You know, I, I don't know what weddings, I mean, nowadays weddings are an all day deal. Then they were a week long deal. And so what does Jesus do? He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. He goes. He goes to a wedding. They run out of wine. Cabernet, Cabernet for you, Cabernet for you. That's what he does. You get it? He turned water into wine. Never mind. I just wanted to say Cabernet in a sermon. He's walking through a town and someone walks up to him and they're sick and or they're dying or they're someone in their family's sick or, or there's something going on with their kids. And does Jesus plow right past them going, I'm busy, I got to get to the next point. He was never busy because he was always in the moment. He had the respect of people. That when they stood in front of them, He stood in front of them. He climbed into that moment with them. You see, busy says, I'm in front of you, but I'm worried about stuff at home. My mom said to me something last week, and I don't know what to do with it. I'm kind of thinking about that. I got stuff I got to take care of. Busy is that I'm in front of you, but I'm not really with you. Focus is, I'm standing in front of you and we're in this moment together. I'm with you. Some of you are sitting in church this morning, busy. Your brain's everywhere. You're thinking about everything. And there's a moment happening here. There's a moment where that Jesus inhabits and He's inviting you into that moment. And if you don't stop being busy, your energy going everywhere. You won't be able to focus on this moment with Him. Does that make sense? So you got to think about these things. Because it's all about where you're focused, where you're thinking. And what we need to do is we need to learn presence. We need to learn to be present with each other and with God. We need to learn to be here now, there, you see, I know you have responsibilities. I know you have a lot of stuff on your plate and a lot of things to do. And, and I get how challenging it is to go through life with all these things in your, your backpack here and still live life. But you have to learn how to deal with each moment that you're living rather than trying to handle all the moments at once. So we have to learn how to show up. We have to learn how to be present in the moments that we have. And this will make you weird. Abnormal. Okay. If you happen to live in an insane asylum, some of you may. We call it home. If you happen to live in an insane asylum and your life is normal, but it's normal for an insane asylum, that's not normal. One philosopher put it this way. He says, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Wow. Just because everyone else is doing it. Just because that's the way life is today does not mean that's a healthy way to live life. 
You've got to understand that a lot that's happening in our culture has been motivated by the hijacking of psychology. That unhealthy things are in place and people are living them like that's normal when it's not normal. It's not healthy. Never been like this before. And if you want to live a, a different life, if you want to have a better target, a better goal, you've got to change courses. You understand that, right? I mean, if you don't change course, you're going to end up exactly where you're going, right? Think about it. Do you like where you're going? You like where your marriage is headed, where your parenting's headed, where your home is headed, where your career is headed, where your mental health is headed? Do you... Are you just being carried along by the, the push of all the crazy people around you? Or are you willing to look at things a little differently? Are you willing to maybe change your direction? So, learn to be here now. It's so easy to forget your why. It's easy to forget why you married the person you're married to. It's easy to forget why you're a parent. It's easy to forget that moment when you first became a parent, the first time, in my case, that someone called me dad and I've never been called that before. It's easy to forget as I was looking at my firstborn son Clay into this world and the thought went through my mind, I'm going to love you with everything I have and I will die for you from this moment on. It's easy to forget <laughs> beautiful, God makes them cute so you won't sell them on eBay, baby. <laughs> now that little baby's 36 years old. Gosh, I'm old. Or will be 36 this year. It's easy to forget your why. It's easy to forget where you started. It's easy to, to lose track of where you're going. And just instead of living, just going through the motions of living. You know, last Sunday we talked about Jesus rising from the dead. I mean, dying on the cross was awesome, but rising from the dead is more awesome. And you know he did that so your life could have purpose. So that your why could matter. So that you in this life and this world full of crazy people could bring kindness and love and care and Jesus to this place. So we have to learn to be present. For Daniel, three times a day he had an appointment with God. I think he knew, because I've read the book of Daniel, he was a busy guy. He had a lot of things on his calendar. So he made a point to make sure that three appointments a day were scheduled with God. It recentered him. I don't know what your rhythm needs to be, but we all need rhythms of presence. Think of this. We all need rhythms of presence. And if we take rhythms and we say, God, I am present with you right now, Start with two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever you can squeeze in, whatever you can schedule in. Start somewhere and say, God, I'm with you in this moment. It's you and me. The kids, you might have to lock the bathroom door. 
They'll pass notes underneath, I know. But time with God. Be present. Find your why. Here's how David put it. David put it this way in Psalm 131. He said, I have calmed and quieted myself. Now, this is poetry, but I want you to see what he says. I want you to to envision it. This is David. I've calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, some of you are going, I don't get that at all, and I get it. But envision it like this. David saw himself in the arms of God being held and he liked being there. That's what you have to catch. He liked being there. He was like, and that's what Daniel, Daniel liked being with God. It wasn't religion to him. It was being with God. It was relationship. It was connection. It was, it was like, Dan, J, like David and Daniel, bo- both of them are like, okay, God, we are together in this moment. I like this. You want to run trouble and anxiety out of your life? Learn to like that. Learn to like presence in His presence. You learn to like that. You're going to find your footing. You're going to be able to put that phone away, shut that thing off, get some peace, put it on airplane mode. If you do it while someone's talking to you, they'll think they lost the call. Just throw it out there for free. (laughs) Totally free. Oh, I'm going up on a tunnel, airplane mode. Okay, so um, I thought he was in his living room. Anyway, so what I want you to do is I want you to learn present. That's what I'm trying to learn to do and working on. I don't need something from God. This is what, this will found your faith. This will root it. I don't need something from God. I need God. I need God. And I know that in this room, people need miracles and they need healings and they need financial solutions and need relations. I know you need all of that stuff, but all of those things, all those important miracles, they don't come from wanting stuff from God. They come from existing and being present with God. You see, when you're in relationship with God, He solves a lot of problems and He solves them in ways that you could never have imagined. I have answers to prayer that I was not smart enough to ask God for. Okay? Learn to be present in His presence. That's where we begin. Let's bow our heads. Worship team. Father, what I have talked about this morning I think is so difficult. I just, even, I, I just know in my own life that I get a thousand, thousands of taps of day. Dings and badges and alerts and calls and just... So I know that when I ask and pray and lead us into a moment of presence, that it is no small thing. 
It's like asking someone to kneel and pray in the midst of a hurricane. So I ask you, Lord, to teach us how we can do this. I pray, Lord, that this morning you would help us recover our why. Remind remind us why we are Christians, why we are parents, why we are married, why we are pursuing our careers. Give us back our why. I pray that you would fill the moments of busyness with, 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 with focus and attention and energy invested rather than energy drained. And I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know you as Father, that today they would realize that Father God is good. He's reliable. He can be counted on. The chaos we live in, the circumstances we endure, they're not from Him, but He can use them. I pray that you would teach us how to anchor our faith in His presence, Your presence, so well that our circumstances no longer concern us or rattle us, I should say. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have some folks that can pray over here on my right. Let's stand.
Father, your presence is what we seek. You being here with us is what we desire. You promised that you would send your son, Emmanuel, God, with us. So help us to orchestrate our lives around being present in every moment that we can with you, about scheduling time with you, about circling our wagons, about your campfire, because it is warm and it is safe and it is secure and it's where we find you and your heart. Help us to be present with you. This is our prayer this week and this is what we ask. I ask that you would bless each one in this room as they go, that our lives would bring warmth and comfort to those around us because we're your kids and we're so grateful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a fantastic week.